to one side so that I can see you more easily with Beauty. Thank you. Welcome to the Reinventing Education podcast. This is a podcast for folks interested in reinventing what education is. I'm Rob McLeod. Today, we'll be talking about the classroom ethos in a mainstream school. And as always, joined by the rejuvenated and refreshed Brendan O'Leary. How are you, Brendan? I am not too bad, Rob. We just finished our last day of orientation. And uh, as we say in the biz, I will be back in the room on uh, on Monday. Right on. So yeah, we've had a rejuvenating, if I may say so myself, summer break, and we're back. We are finishing up the exploration into the mainstream schooling. But before we get into what that is, we thought we'd just pause as we stare down the scary eyes of a new season of the show and uh, pause, check in, and try to present what we are doing in a nutshell for anyone who might be new to us, or if you've been following along, we're going to try and slim this thing down to something even more concise and yet precise, we hope. So do you want to give me the the pep talk before I give this a go? So about a year ago, we kind of were competing with each other very much in, in line with the mainstream values of who could present our vision in the most effective and efficient manner. You've taken up the gauntlet one more time. You were bragging just a few minutes ago about how you'd told so many people about this that you were now, I believe you suggested you were a world-class explainer. So I reckon, Rob, if you can bring this in in under a minute, you deserve that gold medal. Is that enough, Pep? I'm ready. I also just want to clarify that I said none of those words that you said, but that... uh, I'll edit that bit out so (laughs) no one will ever know you said that. Okay, reinventing education. Here's what we're bringing to the table in a nutshell. We all want the best from education. We as teachers want to present the best education possible. Within our schools, we want this. Leadership wants this. Parents want this. As students, you want the best possible education. What does that mean? Well, we are saying that there are essentially, at the moment, three main answers to what a good education it is. We're saying there's a traditional answer, a mainstream answer, and a progressive answer. If you are familiar with Spiral Dynamics or the work of Frederick Laloux and Reinventing Organizations, traditional matches up with blue or amber, mainstream with orange, progressive with green. The colors sound confusing to you. We'll just leave those there. Traditional. This is an approach to education and schooling. It sees that those in authority know what's best in terms of delivering the best possible education. A mainstream school organizes itself around a curriculum and the transparent assessment of student achievement against those curriculum objectives. A progressive school organizes itself around coaching, mentoring, counseling a child to uncover what is most meaningful to them in relationship to the group and helping them to pursue that. So traditional basically organizes itself around duty, self-discipline, tradition, authority. Mainstream organizes itself around meritocracy, achievement, transparency, measurable progress, And a progressive school organizes itself around the deconstruction of what school has been in search of meaning for students and student empowerment. Each of these has their own ways of being right, but each of these may see each other as wrong. And where we're eventually going with our narrative here is to say there's actually a fourth value that will come after progressive, could be called post-progressive or an integration value. And this essentially wishes to go back 
and utilize the strengths of each of those three previous values, the traditional, mainstream, and progressive, in order to meet the three aims of school, which we've defined as occupational preparation, citizenship preparation, and self-development. What we see as being most important at the moment is to be able to identify which of those three kinds of schools is your current educational context, and then trying to be the best version of that. How can we do that? Well, we're basically saying that there are eight aspects to an education, that we can see what a school is through these eight aspects. These eight aspects are the systems and the environments. So the systems, how does the educational context or school organize itself? What are the environments? These could be physical or digital. What observable actions or practices and resources are there? So actions, these are basically, you know, what do we see happening in the school? What is being done? The resources, what things are there? The next two aspects are community and culture. So these are the shared community and culture. The community, who are the various overlapping circles of groups within the school? And then within those groups of people, what is the shared culture? What are the norms? What's allowed? What's not? And then finally, the beliefs and the responses of the individuals. So every single person involved in an educational context, be they students, teachers, administration, parents, larger community, is going to have their own personal beliefs within them and their own individual responses in relationship to what is going on. Our attempt on this podcast is to use these tools, the three types of school and these eight aspects, to be able to help schools find where they are on the map, get to where they want to go. And we hope that in some small way, we can help contribute to the reinventing of education. Excellent. Very good. Very clear. So you did a presentation a while ago that I would like to put out as an episode soon, uh, which is all of that stuff and much more. And it's really, really good. So hopefully we can put that out very soon. And also if you look back at episode 50, we've got an hour of uh, unpacking that. But Robert, you did a great job. I think you earned that gold medal. And just a smidge over a minute. <laughs> a few minutes there, but each minute was, was pretty good. Gold medal. Exactly. Worthy. And so what's on the agenda today? So right. on our agenda today, we are focusing in specifically on the mainstream approach to education. So this is the one that organizes itself around a curriculum and the transparent assessment of student achievement in relationship to that curriculum. And we're looking specifically, I guess, at both a little bit of the culture of the school, but also some of the practices by and large. So we're going to look at the class culture, the class ethos, the kind of to some degree, unspoken, just water that we're swimming in. Like some of the things we're going to say today aren't maybe things you would necessarily hear actually stated in the classroom, but they're kind of the like invisible shared beliefs that we just know to be self-evident or as truths, perhaps. So to launch into what makes this mainstream class culture ethos unique, Maybe, Brennan, can you start by describing the previous type of school, the traditional type of school? What are some of the characteristics, strengths, drawbacks of the class culture and ethos from a traditional school so we can compare and contrast? Yeah, so very briefly, the traditional school with its basis on security and uh, what it looks at is that class culture is very much building a sense of family and unconditional acceptance in its best in its best case. And so even no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, if you are part of our group and you adhere to our rules and our beliefs, then you're you're part of us. So yeah, that sense of belonging is very key to a traditional school class ethos. 
We did touch on some of what we call the bathwaters or the negatives of this at its extreme. That kind of mindset can lead to it being socially acceptable to forget or ignore or even discriminate against people that don't fit in or don't accept your worldview. But at its best, it is a sense of belonging and a sense of almost family. So if we then look at the mainstream school with a very different underlying set of beliefs and practices, um, how would that differ? And what might we see in the mainstream classroom in terms of ethos? Well, you might actually see this sentence or some variation of it in a classroom. And I would say you could kind of distill down the mainstream class ethos down to a group of high achieving individuals can achieve more as a team. So you use the word family to describe a traditional classroom ethos. I might use sort of another analogy of like, you know, a high functioning NBA basketball professional sports team to represent the class culture ethos of a mainstream school. So obviously family and team chasing a championship, you know, slightly different dynamics. So a group of high achieving individuals can achieve more as a team. So there is this shift away from that sense of family of unconditional acceptance from traditional into this idea of like, you're kind of here on your own now in mainstream, but it's actually more efficient and effective if we as an entire group are all striving to do our best and we can push each other to achieve more and we can do our best. So we're all here to get better. And there's just this belief unquestioned belief that each of you should be doing your best. And what do we mean by your best? Well, because this is a mainstream school, it's organizing itself around a curriculum. What we're really saying is you need to be doing your best at achieving in relationship to the goals of the curriculum. You need to be checking that you are meeting the success criteria that we're asking of you. You're either kind of on your own together or with others at your level. So this is where a classroom really shifts towards a much more complex version of differentiation. And there's this idea that you will get what is fair for you. And fair looks different for each of us. And the class ethos here, you know, we've talked about this, it's this idea of the zone of proximal development, which I think is sort of like easiest to conceive of if we just think of going to the gym, you know, you get the most out of going to the gym, if you use the weights that are appropriate for you, you don't get a lot out of going to the gym if you show up for an hour and lift weights that are way too light. You also probably end up hurting yourself and not getting much if you try to use weights that are way too heavy. And this is essentially the role of the teacher here, this idea that I'm going to help find your zone of proximal development to effectively and efficiently help you achieve the best that you can against the curriculum. We're all here, each as individuals. You are an individual yourself. All of us are unique. And that is a good thing. We can stand out and celebrate you within our context of being so focused on the curriculum within our playground, within our sandbox, if you will. And what about sort of the social dynamics in the classroom? Because Brennan, we talked about the traditional approach being more of a family. There's this idea of often in a traditional classroom that, hey, we're in this together, we need to get along. What's one of the subtle differences within the mainstream school when it comes to social dynamics and people perhaps not getting along with each other? I don't know if you're a fan of The Office, but... Stanley has a great line of, we don't have to like each other, we just have to work together. And uh, that's not quite how I would put the the, um, the mainstream mentality, but it's definitely in that kind of zone of, we don't necessarily have to be friends. We just have to be able to work together. We don't want to uh, take advantage of anybody else. We want to support each other at best. 
but it isn't those strong, deep family bonds necessarily. So if you're a new listener, you might be thinking, well, I'm both. We can be a family and a team, and of course you can, but where's your focus? And the mainstream school may still have a family feel in parts, but but really when it comes down to it, it more represents this idea that we just have to be able to work together in this space and support each other. We all have our zone of proximal development, as you just said, Rob, and we're all individuals and we can stand out and there is a space for that. There is a space within a team for people who are individual. And I think that's what at its best, the mainstream class ethos says. And at the core of that as well, there's the idea that your success cannot hinder someone else's success. You cannot compromise someone else's achievement in the pursuit of yours. So this isn't like the cutthroat capitalist corporation where everyone's you know, trying to get one over on someone else. No, the idea is that all of us can achieve to our absolute maximum potential. And you're definitely not allowed to screw over someone else in while you are in pursuit of demonstrating your merit and, and your abilities. In its healthy scenarios. And so, of course, every every episode, we look at the, the babies in the bathwater, the positives and the negatives. And of course, in the positive aspects of this, yes, absolutely. You know, you're not here to take advantage of somebody else. This isn't a law of the jungle scenario. So, you know, while we're on this, shall we move over into the healthy, positive babies of the mainstream class ethos? Yeah. So in teasing apart, what do we want to keep from this? And maybe what do we wish to set aside? One of the things that we do want to keep, and this is kind of new, at least in relationship to traditional education, you get to be who you are. Now, there's a little bit of a caveat. I would say you get to be who you are as long as you're playing within our sandbox, as long as you're taking the curriculum and the expectations put on you seriously. You get to be who you are, and you don't have to completely conform to our norms, our rules. We can co-create some of our social agreements, these sorts of things together. You get to be who you are as an individual. Maybe where that's most evident is in your ability to progress at your level. In traditional schools, it's not uncommon for a teacher to kind of keep the pace of the lowest 20% of the class to make sure that we've got that security that no one's being left behind. Now, that comes at the expense of someone who's far beyond where the lowest 20% of the class is. Here, you get to be who you are, and you will get to be given challenges at your level, differentiated challenges for who you are. And your progress and your pace is supported by the differentiation offered in that classroom, supported by the teacher. And there's an emphasis on personal motivation. I would say when a mainstream classroom is functioning at its best, even though there's the curriculum, which of course people can argue, you know, to some degree might be disconnected from that child's life. That's definitely one of the criticisms for sure. A fantastic mainstream teacher will be working to find ways to personally motivate each individual student by finding what makes them tick and helping students to achieve and study and learn and develop projects and all these sorts of things to make these things relevant to the students and to students' lives. Now, I would contrast that with maybe an unhealthy version of traditional 
teaching where it's sort of like, well, the kids just have to do this. Well, I don't really care if they're not into it. I don't really care if it's not relevant. And this is what we're doing. That would be an unhealthy traditional teacher. A healthy mainstream teacher would be trying to find those ways to really help students make connections between what's happening in the class and who they are as an individual. Now, we often talk about trust and security in relationship to traditional schools. Now, there is this idea in traditional schools that we do just trust a teacher we trust the school unless we're given evidence or reason otherwise. But how we gain that trust is, is different in mainstream schools. And Brennan, I wonder if you could touch on that. Well, yeah. So the idea is in a traditional, for example, trust is given to the, the master because it's a, very, it's a very hierarchical, authoritarian kind of system. That is not in and of itself a negative but that is the organizational structure. And therefore, if I walk into the classroom, trust should be given directly to the teacher with no real questions asked. That's not the case in a mainstream school. Trust is earned and specifically it is earned through being transparent in what you're doing. Uh, being honest, of course, as in all schools, traditional mainstream progressive, honesty is key, but being transparent about your honesty, being transparent about your, your methods, about your systems, about how you work, about your feelings, about your strengths and weaknesses. A criticism of traditional schools, and this is certainly not always the case, but is that your weaknesses or your uh, challenges are something that are not necessarily focused on. There's sometimes a, a shame or a stigma attached to not knowing the answer or not being able to do things. In a uh, mainstream school, that is seen as a challenge, but it is actually seen as a positive if you can identify your weaknesses and your challenges and take them on. And we gain trust as teachers and as students and as every member of the community by kind of being honest and transparent about our strengths and weaknesses and our goals. And one example might be assessment. So the, the nature of a test in a traditional school, maybe every aspect is hidden other than the questions. You're not sure where the questions came from, where they're relevant to, how they're marked, or, or how they fit into the bigger scheme of, of education. All of those in a healthy mainstream school, that's all set out for you as a parent, as a, as a co-worker, as a student. And uh, yeah, I think that's really key. Trust isn't implicitly given, it is, it's kind of proven because, I mean, the, the, the mainstream society is based on the empirical method and the, the idea of proving things and having criteria to measure things. And I think that's a really key point. And if I could give one example to just show a distinction there. In discussing with people who are working in traditional schools and mainstream schools, there's an interesting debate about whether or not the school should make the curriculum public. So I know this conversation has come up where I've spoken with people in a traditional school context where it's been like, no, 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 don't put the curriculum up there. That's, that be, can become a threat to the school because parents can use that as ammunition against us. They can make a case that may or may not be fair or accurate, but that's going to create hassles. Whereas schools coming more from a mainstream mindset are going to say, no, no, like we're going to gain your trust. We're going to show you exactly what we're up to. There's no reason to hide anything from you. So here is our curriculum. It's, you know, on the front page of our website, there's a link there. You can check it out. And, you know, we're going to have a few parent evenings throughout the school year to explain how we approach the teaching of math or science or our reading strategies or the writer's workshop or whatever it is. There's this idea that by educating parents, not just indoctrinating them, but educating them to say, hey, you know, you mentioned the scientific method and like the idea of validation and proof, like, hey, here's research 
that backs up the idea that this is a more effective way to do things than other things. Hey, we've got our book club. Let's read the homework myth. Let's talk about what research really says about this thing. And we're going to be transparent and justify why we're doing things. And trust is gained through that transparency. And I think one of the things that we get into the idea of writing things down. In traditional school, traditional system, many things are written down, but it's also there's often implicitly this idea of everybody knows this and it's not changing. So we don't necessarily need to write it down. And if it is written down, it's going to be over here, maybe, and not necessarily shared front and center. Because national curriculum is even the most traditional schools now, and, and those curriculum documents are actually available. But they're kind of set in stone and they're a done deal. And if you go onto the gov, you know, the government website and go down four or five levels, you'll you'll find them. But really what they are, how you use them, that I think that's only something that comes to the table in mainstream. And we've talked about this a lot, but underlying that class ethos is that idea. You can know all of these things. If, you know, they're all here for you to understand why and the strengths and weaknesses of those. We had one other idea before moving over to the bathwater or the, the not so good things. One last good thing is just this idea of the individuals support each other's progress. Now, arguably, you can you know make a case that you would also see that in a traditional school for sure. But there is this idea in a mainstream school of we have clear aims, we have clear goals. They're dictated and indicated to us by the curriculum. The teacher is making the success criteria explicit to us in terms of being able to understand exactly how we're going to go about accomplishing those goals and aims. And essentially, you know, you and I can work together, whether it's in a differentiated group or through various means to support each other's progress. And that, you know, just like a high functioning sports team, great if you've got a Michael Jordan on the team, but it's even better if you've got everybody else encouraging each other to do their best possible and, you know, to be inspired by others and, and maybe to get a little of that competitive edge like we had at the start of this episode with trying to do who can do the uh, reinventing education in a nutshell better, which I realized as we got going, I missed one really critical part, which is, I think, what we brought to the table. And you had already dropped the line of the master. So I'm going to drop it in here now. A difference between these three types of school is the idea of the relationship between staff or teachers with the students. And I would say at traditional, we're using kind of this relationship of the master and the apprentice. Master knows best. Apprentice isn't ready yet, but the master will get you ready. They've been through it. They know what's necessary. Mainstream school, the relationship is that of like an Olympic athlete or a high performance coach, like going to the Olympics. We know what the standards are. We know where the bar has been raised. We know what you need to do. And we're going to work with you to help you achieve your maximum level against these goals. And then progressive, which we're not so focused on today, but we'll get to progressive relationship is that of the counselor and counseled. Uh, the idea that through talking, through exploring your own personal interests as a student, in relationship to what you value, in relationship to the community around you, what is most important, what is most meaningful, what is most beneficial for you, and we will do our best to create an educational context around that to support you as the student. With that said, shall we move over to the bathwaters of this mainstream, this achievement-focused coach-athlete relationship, where does it go wrong? Or what are some of the drawbacks of this approach to class ethos, Brennan? We've already kind of hinted that it is worst the kind of mainstream global capitalist view that is uh, ensconced in this kind of 
paradigm, this system is competitiveness. And obviously over competitiveness within a class, too much focus on even playing students off against each other, but especially these high stakes tests that affect the entire future of the school and are linked potentially to the, the salary of teachers can breed a spirit of over competitiveness in which people are no longer really helping each other. It is all about who can who can actually get one over on the other, who can actually score the highest. Now, I've seen this also in traditional schools in a, in a small sense, especially when they rank students, which is something that kind of disappears in, in mainstream schools because we realize that there's not really a lot of sense in ranking just that random cohort of 20 or 30 students. It only really becomes, the data covers the, the state or the or even in case of things like PISA, the uh, the globe. But yeah, there's it's very hard to build a positive, supportive class ethos if everybody is trying to win the game of school. I once heard it said that you know in my classroom there's there's no shortage of A's. So the idea being that you know just because Brennan gets an A, it doesn't mean Rob can't have. You know, you can both get A's. And I think that's the positive side of it. And that is a reality. And it, theoretically, the highest functioning, healthiest, best mainstream school, in theory, could have every student walking out of there with an A plus because the teacher found the exact fit, you know, that was necessary in the zone of proximal development for the student to achieve that absolute highest set of aims set in the curriculum, in theory. And that's true within the domain of the classroom. But as soon as you leave that portion of the school and you get filtered into the next step of school, which might be college or university, yeah, there may not have been a shortage of A's in your classroom, but there is a shortage of places for college entry at school next, and they're going to grill down that, well, this year's group, 95% isn't enough to get in, and 96 is going to be the cutoff. You need 97, 98, 99 to be considered. And then all of a sudden, you are in competition with each other, just not that year in the school, but as you get filtered into the next phase of schooling. Well, the very nature of how they use a bell curve to set those standards means that there actually is a sh literally a shortage of A's. So some of the other kind of drawbacks to this mainstream take on class ethos in its unhealthy approach is that kind of overemphasis on assessment and success criteria that we just touched upon there is at the expense of focusing on holistic and uh, social emotional things. And the principal of my school, Dwayne, uh, guest starred a few episodes ago when we, when we interviewed David Labrie. He, even this week, he has reiterated that the social emotional comes first at our school. Curriculum is very important, but if we've got a kid who is struggling in any sense, or if you personally are struggling, that needs to come first. And at its best, the mainstream school understands that and accepts that, and there is a balance. And, you know, these enlightenment values that underpin everything are based on the idea of you know, human rights and fairness and equity. They are their core based on people living a good life, but it's possible to forget that in the heat of the battle. And so, yeah, that is definitely a drawback we see in those classrooms. You know, I often hear people talk about middle school is a hard time or, you know, your third year of university is a hard time. It is, but we've designed... <laughs> We as a society have designed that system and it's not a given that it has to be hard. It has to be difficult. It has to be unpleasant and unhappy. And of course, it's not for everybody. But the fact that you hear that that, that 
those things are probably not going to be a surprise to anyone who's spent any time in education or has family members in there. So maybe we should be working on fixing that rather than just accepting, oh, it's a hard time. Best school days, best days of your life. Well, for some people, for sure, but not for everybody. And I think the worst case scenario of this is simply reducing people down to their data, reducing people down to numbers, and reducing in that classroom the idea of you as a student, you are your achievements at school. What I as your educator, what I as your teacher, what we as the school are looking at is your achievements against our curriculum. And anything to do with you that isn't directly connected to those, <laughs> to the curriculum and your achievements is kind of off the radar. And that's who you are. And at its worst, having that reinforced, I think, is one of the huge issues with this mainstream approach to school. Some of those traditional niceties can be gone where there is, you know, maybe less emphasis of, you know, maybe you've got more free time or you've got, you know, the walk in the park or something like that. Whereas when you get into an unhealthy mainstream school approach, we've maybe lost some of that sense of community. There's that sense of isolation you're discussing. And there's this idea of like, we're kind of here for only one thing. And we're going to be down to work and, and using all of our time as effectively and as efficiently as possible. And if that's not enough, you're staying in a break to do it. If that's not enough, there's extra homework. If that's not enough, there's extra tutoring that's happening before or after school. And if that's not enough, and it just gets layered on and layered on. Um, because at the end of the day, the worst case version of the mainstream school reduces you to just your achievements at school. And saying that that is the purpose and that is the only reason you're here. And if you are not achieving that implicitly you're not succeeding either as a student or as a human and that is very isolating you see this battle playing out in a lot of schools where you know the notion of a counselor is emerging more and more they're necessary people at the best of times we all we all have our challenges but in a system that is actually is amplifying the, those issues it is the you know, that's sometimes lone counsellor in a school with 500 or 1,000 people who is championing that. And of course, this, you know, the staff generally at any school is very, very supportive and leadership too. But the idea is that this, yeah, there, there are times when, the, when the, that pocket that you're in, that school is in a place that where that competitive nature has taken over everything and where the data doesn't give you time to take a breath, doesn't give you time to step back. Because if you do that, you're not going to achieve and achievement is the only thing. And you get into this very negative spiral and kind of circular logic. And so both the traditional and the progressive, but especially the progressive are saying that's just not, it's not even, and then we talk about Illich's myths of school, that's not even how we work as people. And that's not even how you're going to, it's not even what you're going to need when you grow up. <laughs> It's not even what anyone need today. <laughs> so it's like, it's not serving me now. It's not really serving me in the future. Uh, it's it's not good. The answer is certainly not that easy. You will walk in tomorrow and say, hey, everyone, I've got this. I've got the answer. <laughs> We're all going to just not do these tests. And the boycotts are, you know, boycotts absolutely as a political action are a, an option. But I'm just, I guess it's, it's deeply, deeply ingrained in our society. 
it's complex and it's tough and hopefully it uh, you know if you are in a position like that or feeling that in any sense there definitely is a way by you know trying to find those pockets and bring it back to a focus on the more holistic and to focus on the social emotional and focus on the positives and the creativity and just look and seek that balance and i've been there as a I was the grade five teacher, the year six teacher in England. And this is this is kind of the end of primary. So a lot of folks on those tests and had a great head teacher. And we worked together to try and find that, that balance. And it certainly wasn't easy. And I would say that the external forces, those outside forces were making it more difficult to do that. But we had some measure of success. And um, so, you know, there, there are ways. But to, for me, looking as a systems person, I'd like to see the whole system change and not just, you know, those brave hackers who are out there trying to um, really make a difference. But if you are one of those, great job. We're on your well, side. It's interesting because you highlighted that. You said you had a great head of school where there was some balance there. Where it gets tricky, you know, if we start with the classroom and we say, well, is the teacher, you know, reducing students down to just their achievements? And then you go up one level and we go, well, is the head of school doing that? In your case, the head of school is not doing that. It sounds like a much more holistic head of school. But if you have a head of school who's reducing students down to achievement and therefore reducing their staff down to the staff's ability to maximize student achievement, and if you've got a superintendent or whatever layer above them who's reducing their group of schools and their group of heads down to their data and scores of achievement, it gets pretty difficult to come down to the teacher and go, hey, you know that reducing kids to the achievement isn't the greatest thing. You should do something else, potentially at the cost of your job at the end of the school year, if you don't meet the quota, the standards, whatever, of your head of school, because they're on the line to their superintendent, who's on the line to the Ministry of Education or whatever crazy variation of that. So... Yeah, without that humanity in the system, it, it does become quite reductionist. And like so many of these things, we see that each of these three kinds of schools has their strengths and then not only has their weaknesses, but have new problems that the previous type of school didn't have. So these kinds of problems we're talking about, like you know, around curriculum expectations and the reductions of achievements, it's not really something you see to this degree, or at least in this way in a traditional school. This is a new problem that mainstream schools bring online. And each of these types of school, we're kind of saying they happen in an order because traditional brings some problems online that get solved by the mainstream approach to school. The mainstream you know, approach, while bringing new solutions, also brings new problems online. And these are some of them. And the progressive approach to education, as it comes online, offers some solutions to these problems we've been discussing and certainly, you can say that the mainstream school is inclusive, certainly in terms of achievement, in terms of differentiation. But again, we're reducing students to some degree to being achievers. And the only thing that really matters for their inclusion is our ability to differentiate for their learning. Whereas a progressive approach says, no, 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 that's one piece of a much larger puzzle. And there's a whole lot more we need to take into consideration. We need a much more holistic view of who is in our school. And the aim isn't just about your achievement. Once we move into progressive, you know, the aim can be much more about trying to bring you as a unique human being into the classroom. And, and not just who you are now, but who you are becoming. And who you are becoming isn't necessarily found in a curriculum document. Who you are becoming is a negotiation between you and the school and where you're going and how you will get there. Because in a mainstream school, 
Students might have some choice in terms of how they accomplish the curriculum goals, but they don't have a choice of opting in or opting out of having to do those curriculum goals. Whereas the progressive approach says, no, no, we can create a curriculum and one that can be differentiated in content and in pace and all these sorts of things, but we're going to co-create it. It's not going to come from the outside in. Yeah, well, just on that point, one thing, one way that I like to think about it is that traditional, you are not in control of changing either the objectives or the pathway as in the strategies. When you get into mainstream, you can't change the objectives or the goals, but you can change the strategies of how you get there as a, either as a student or a teacher. When you get to progressive, and this is where it kind of gets muddy and it scares some people, you're changing not only the strategies, but the goals themselves, the, which is why it has to work on a much more negotiated group and personal level. The other thing I'd, I would point out is that if you're if you are a relatively new um, listener and you're thinking, well, the school I know down the road, they kind of seem traditional, but they do like standardized national tests. So they, they must be a mainstream. You know, we live in the real world. So there's a mix of all of these schools and you doing a, a mainstream standardized test obviously means that at least partially a school is mainstream, but it's worth looking at what else goes on and how that test is adhered to and the expectations. And again, it gets a little bit complex to look at it, but just because you see something that we've said happens in a mainstream school doesn't mean that, that your school isn't traditionally leaning. Yeah, the, you know, in the current year, every school out there is going to be some mix of these three approaches, the traditional, the mainstream, and progressive. And I would just say at the end of the day, you know, you've got, you're going to have some cocktail mix of the three. What we're trying to do right now is to help you distinguish clarify those tasting notes of the cocktail to see, oh no, overall I'm seeing far more mainstream indicators in my school. Or like you said, well, I do see the tests, you know, the, the standardized tests, which sound very mainstream. We've got a bit, a bit of differentiation stuff. But if you look at the markers, you actually realize, oh no, but we're operating and approaching all of these things through a very traditional master and apprentice-like yeah, I would just say, so be careful you ever find yourself saying we're already doing all of this because it's true, but that's kind of the first approach. You then have to say, well, what is it we're actually doing? And in each of these areas, is it more traditionally or mainstream leaning? And is that where we want to be? So I guess that's kind of our approach when we work with schools or in the schools we're working. And if you're in a school, kind of begin there. Yeah, we're doing a little bit of all of these, but where are we now and where do we want to be? Yes, sir. that's everything, Rob. So where are we at next time? So in this episode, we talked about the class ethos. So some of those either expressed or hidden shared beliefs within the classroom. Next time, we're going to look at classroom layout and design or the actual learning spaces. So moving from that community, the culture and the practices down into that aspect of school, looking at largely the environment and then also to some degree, the systems that organize those environments. So looking at what's on the wall, looking at how groupings are done in the classroom, uh, looking at how materials are used and set up in either the, uh, the real world or digital learning spaces and how those are organized via the mainstream approach. Yeah, and I think in between then and now, we're going to have another chat with Malcolm. I think he's going to grill us once more on our philosophy. So um, hope he's had a good rest over the summer. And I hope you, listener, also had a good rest over the summer. But now it is time for action. Yeah, we're hitting the ground running. We've got a lot of episodes already ready, a lot of content prepped. And uh, tie yourselves in 
That's it. Tie your mother down. <laughs> I did notice a Freddie Mercury book behind you. Yeah, it's uh, Akio's uh, piano book. Does it have Tie Your Mother Down? Does it? It's all in Japanese. Brennan is, I'll I'll narrate this. Brennan is looking through a Japanese piano book of Queen songs, looking for the Queen song, Tie Your Mother Down. I don't think it has Tie Your Mother Down, unfortunately. It's not one of their bigger hits. It's a great song though, isn't it? It is. Um, Shall we finish with a song? Yes, please. Stuff on the wall. That's what's coming up next. A group of high-achieving individuals can achieve more than a team. Mainstream team. Yay! We did it. We did it. Who would have thought? Who would have thought it? <laughs> That's a reference to something you, uh, if you're still here, still hanging around these dusty corridors, um, check it out. See if you can search that out on the internet. Modcast. Hi, Modcast. Thanks, Brendan. Season Brenda. five, episode ten. Hi, Rob. Thanks. <laughs>